Hello and you're very welcome to LOI Weekly. It's season two, episode 36, and it's Dan sitting in here today. Johnny is on holidays. He's in Lisbon. I was uh, I was sat with him at the Pats Rovers game last Saturday. Uh, last Friday, sorry, discussing guests for this week, what we were going to do, you know, who we were going to get on. And then he mentioned midway through the discussion that he was, you know, or in a separate discussion that he was off to Lisbon for four days on Monday, at which point I said, what's the plan with the podcast? He looked sort of puzzled. So uh, he's not here. He sent a four and a half minute long audio message from his holidays, which was, to be honest, deeply boring. Uh, and he was hung over. So we decided not to use that because we've got editorial control. He's not here. And we don't have to listen to Johnny Ward this week. So Aidan Fitzmaurice, you're here uh, from the Herald, uh, fresh from an international doubleheader. I wouldn't say fresh, but... Uh, full of enthusiasm. Um, I watched the highlights of the other games last night and sort of when you see... Armenia, when you see Moldova scoring goals and uh, two games at Lansdowne and no goals, two shots on target, you kind of say... Cheerful, times when you cheer, s- cheerful topic. Cheerful topic, which was somewhere else sometimes. I, I stayed up to watch this. Slovenia, um, who was it? Slovenia-Cyprus was a cracker last night. Three, uh, three, three red cards, including one of the most violent red cards. Brilliant red card, actually. Yeah. Jason Dimitri. From South End United, yeah. It's we've, got, we've, watching, got, yeah. Just, yeah we've got John Sullivan from Bray Ronders here, and we've got Vinnie Perth, Dundalk assistant manager here, joining us as well. Vinnie, very disappointed Johnny's not here. Heartbroken. Uh, heartbroken. Uh, Vinnie did hear some of the clip, though, and agreed that it, was, it just wasn't worth part It couldn't be on the show, no. did, you, did, did you lads see the Jason Dimitri tackle yeah, last night? Just for people who haven't seen this, it's 96th minute. Uh, Slovenia are on the break. There were already been two red cards, by the way. Yeah, and there's a player that looks to be going on his outside. It sort of reminds me of the old sort of British Bulldogs game or something back, and where you're looking at the guy who's going past you. The ball is gone, and he just just takes him, doesn't he? He hacks him. I mean, Vinny's looking. Vinny's like, probably you've made better tackles back in the day. When I played, Alan day. Kelly would have, would have said, play on, to be honest with you. So. Or, or the Latvian referee in the Pats Rovers game last so Friday, really, he, yeah. was, he was letting everything go. John, what do you make of that challenge? Did yeah, I've seen it? a 60-second clip and I just couldn't stop chuckling watching it. Yeah, he just let him go. It was, it was pretty spectacular, but the Aviva didn't give us the same joy, lads. I don't know, were you, either of you at either of the games? or Saturday. Saturday, Finney. same Saturday went. Um, I think Saturday was worse. I, I don't know. I mean, last night some things happened. I mean, Saturday was. Uh, what was the mood like where you were in the ground, lads? Um, the kids were buzzing. Yeah, they were all sugared out ahead. They were buzzing. <laughs> that was about it, really. <laughs> yeah, I was in um, the midsection, the corporate section, so that can be quiet at times, anyway. So um, it was. It was a disappointing game, and I don't think there was enough. I felt like there was nothing on the line and I think this sort of National League Nations League, Nations League should I say has um, has brought something to international football but it didn't feel like there was much on the line and it felt it, it, it feels like there's a little bit of nervousness around the squad and that's transformed itself onto the pitch and I could you could get that sense Yeah John what was your view as a sort of a, as a player watching what's going on in the pitch could you imagine what the thought process was for the players out there or what's actually happening well, yeah, I, I can imagine the first question the players are thinking the same thing every stadium. Why is Sardis Christie playing midfield? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they were thinking that too. Um, but I was, I was actually impressed with Denmark. Believe it or not, they've got Eriksson who didn't play, but the rest of them actually played well and they counter attacked very fast. And they didn't need to win the game. It was sort of apparent. No, but, no, but Ireland couldn't get out of half. Yeah, they couldn't. And I was kind of like watching. Well, I'm going to compare Denmark to Bayern Munich, Barca, Man City, how they play, and now they're nowhere near the caliber. But they had pressed Ireland at their own half. They couldn't get out, and yeah. they looked fantastic. I watched two players there: uh, Cisto in the first game and Joe Allen last night, and just looked at two players who just wanted to get on the ball, a bit like Ampadu in the the game in Cardiff, mm. 
who I, I think with Ireland, the first reaction is to get rid of the ball as soon as possible. And you look at people like Joe Allen, uh, one of the better players. For I thought Lawrence was very good for, for Wales as well. But uh, just how Sisto gets on the ball, he, he looks, he might need to turn around away for something to happen, but he, he's always looking for the pass. And this Irish team aren't doing that. It's just get rid of the ball as soon as possible. Get it away. It's, it's as if the ball is toxic. You just want to get it away. And I, as a kid, if, if, if you have kids at the game, you're not telling them to look at. What we hear about Ireland is effort and heart and dedication. And Martin O'Neill said last night, I can't fault them for effort. But Usual soundbites, really, isn't but it? But if you want to be a player, you look at someone like Sisto. He's playing, maybe it's the league he's playing. He's playing for Celta Vigo. It's, it's the environment he's in. He's not playing. There was 12, cha- 12 championship players in the, in the starting 11s in Ireland and Wales and, and maybe that's and what se- happens and seven, and seven in the Wales side yeah. it must be seven yeah. as well so maybe that's that's what happens but I, I, but Joe Allen was still able who is playing the championship still able to get on the ball and try and coax the ball and use the ball and uh, they're the player if it's you, you want your kids to have Irish heroes but to me the, 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 the player you would want your kid to, to model is, is uh, Sisto yeah I, I don't like picking on you know picking on players I think Cyrus like tried his heart out in both games but at the same time I, I can only imagine and you lads know, having been in dressing rooms, that you know, if Conor Hurrahan or Alan Brown or David Myler or Sean Williams, or if they're sitting on the bus having a chat or, or around the hotel having a chat, it must be a small bit demoralising, Vinny, is it? You know, if you see a player um, in that position. It, it, it can be, yeah, of course. But you've got to remember, like we've done it this year, we've put Dean Jarvis into midfield and managers will make decisions sometimes to suit for their own personal reasons and and... I, I know Martin has sort of explained it by saying he gives them athleticism. Um, to be fair to the, the Viva pitch, the one thing I, I really noticed, and it's, it probably suited Joe Allen last night, um, is how big the pitch is. Mm. It is, it is, and, and I know Martin he has, a little little that, has yeah. made that point. So that's obviously his, his thinking behind it, and he probably feels he needs somebody if he's going to play alongside Harry Arthur midfield with, with more legs. So that's sort of his thinking. Most people would disagree with that, but that that would be his logic of it. So um, we we would put in our own team. We might have put Dean Jarvis into midfield ahead of somebody else because it gives us a right left balance. So there's always decisions made that from the outside people don't necessarily agree, agree with, but they're made for you would like to think the right reasons. Whether whether we all agree or disagree with them, that's up for discussion. But I think. The big thing from Aiden's point was I agree with him about that Denmark player Shih Tzu it was Shih Tzu we were talking about Michael Duffy's dog there for a second but I think he, he was the best player on the pitch and he really stood out and again Joe Allen was excellent but I think the space um, on that pitch in the two in the two games was something um, that I really noticed and it, it, it does lead to you need ball playing of players course, in your of course. team I think I remember the Orland game Sitting next to my, uh, my missus, and again, she doesn't clear what I'm talking about, normally does. At 37 minutes, looking at the clock, Shane Long received the ball halfway line to his chest, turned out left, and realised he hadn't got a winger, mm-hmm. nor anyone ahead of him. And his body language was kind of like, play backwards. Okay. Mm. This, is, this is going to be it now for the remainder of the game. Denmark received the ball, three strikers play forward. Yeah. Delaney's able to pick the ball in midfield and drive forward, and drive forward, and everything was forward, forward, forward. But with Ireland, again, 3-5-2, 5-3-2. Realistically, it's a 5-3-2. I think for Shane Long, it was the same game he played for Ireland many times, no matter what the system Yeah, you know, yeah, no, was, true, true. Isolated up front, regardless of the system yeah. almost, you know. Uh, like To bring it back to the sort of the League of Ireland parish, and Stephen Kenny made the point after the the title-winning night, um, about, you know, about some of the Dundalk players, and he expressed a view that a couple of years back, he, he said, you know, a couple would be capped, and sure enough, 
Darren Horgan was, Andy Boyle, and Richie Towell is, is on the way, I guess, you know, haven't been named in the, in the provisional squad. Um, and he feels that some of the current squad, current and dog squad, could play international football as well. And he mentioned Patrick McElhenney, and, and, and I think Patrick Hoopin was put to him. Uh, and his whole argument was, to bring it back to the debate, is stop thinking about where they play in England or how they get on in England or what happened for them at clubs in England and think about who's suited to international football in the here and uh, can you, I mean, you probably have to agree with your manager contractually, but do you see sort of that uh, that point? Yeah, well, I, di- I did sit at the game the other night against Denmark and look at the space that was on the pitch uh, and going back to the space. And I did think Patrick McElhenney would really, really enjoy that space in midfield. Absolutely. Um, I do agree, I obviously, with the manager because I have to. <laughs> but uh, no, I do agree that we don't have to look on where our players are in England. We used to use this barometer of we've not no players playing in the Premiership and Championship. That Wales side got to very close to a European Championships with predominantly lesser known players in the in the Premiership and Championship players. And you mm. can build a team from players. Um, and that barometer of the Premiership and people in the Premiership, I don't think is realistic for for Irish people anymore. And in some ways, it's not even that realistic to most English base players because it's such a it's such a worldwide league now and there's players coming from all over the yeah. world to it so it doesn't equate I think if we had a team with a couple a sprinkling of premiership players and championship players and a manager could mould them into a good team I think we'd go a long way and you've only to look at you're talking about Slovakia is all these nations coming through they're not full with people playing a premiership so. but they don't they don't they don't have one league in which they judge themselves exactly. it could be you, we, we were passed off the park by Georgia and you probably more. I remember looking at where the players are playing. They have a bloke in Kazakhstan. They have a bloke oh, in very poor leagues. China, one in China, one in the Turkish second division, one in, in Romania. Very poor leagues, all around but, the shop. But, but can play. But come back to what Richard, uh, what Vinny was saying. Uh, Richard Dunn was a column in the Herald. He said a couple of weeks ago, and I'm surprised he said it because Richard isn't really from a League of Ireland background. He would have come. His time with Ireland was where all of the players came from Premier League, and I think there was an attitude in Irish football at the time that League of Ireland players were just not. You know, in terms of tactically, physique, everything else weren't up to it. So Richard has no reason to say it. But he said, I bring in pa- Patrick Hubin for a striker. You're bringing the player in form. It doesn't matter where he is. And he, he, the line he said was, why do we wait for the best League of Ireland player to go to England before we cap him? I know Graham Burke played when he was um, when he was at Shamrock Rover, so technically he did. But the other players, the likes of, of uh, Andy Boyle, uh, Daryl Horgan... Um, so Richard's argument was, and I said that's somebody from who spent a long time in, in the Premier League. He said, as, as a defender, he said, throw in Patrick Hoobin. He's in, he's in form, he's scoring goals. He might not be good enough, but, you know, Aidan O'Brien, you know, played 55 minutes on, on Tuesday night against, uh, against Wales. Um, but, he, never, he but, never, but he never played central striker for his club, Aidan yeah, O'Brien, yeah. in his defence. Like, yeah. he, he's played every game from Elwald this season, slat or off the bench, but never through the middle, I don't think, you know. So but but in, terms of, in terms of who's on form, yeah, Aidan O'Brien yeah. is struggling to get into, a, and this is the, the problem that, that 10, 20 years ago when uh, it was difficult to get into the Ireland squad, I checked this the other day, I think Stephen Carr had played 110 Premier League games before he got an Ireland cap. Whereas now we're basing all our hopes on, on Declan Rice, who's had <laughs> yeah. a, a couple of games. So uh, Richard Dunn's point was it, the game has changed. And if a player is on form and doing well, because we don't have that. Conor Huron is struggling to get into the Aston Villa team. Villa team. Um, uh, Callum Dowda is not playing. So we players who are, are not playing a championship level. So why not if, if Patrick Hoban, give, give Patrick Hoban a chance and see yeah. if he's good enough. John, just on the debate we had there, because I'm thinking you'd be quite good pals with Richie Towell, who's had to like scrap his way up the, the English ladder to a degree to, to eventually get to call. He had a brilliant season in League One last year. And it felt like he had to get to championship level. I think I spoke to him at one point. Yeah. There was a feeling that you have to get to that course, championship yeah. level before. So what do you think of someone who's played in the league and played against some of the players that we're, we're speaking about here? 
Yeah, no, like what you said there, he had to get a championship and, and that's the level he's at now. He knows that himself. Uh, last year at League One, no one gave him a text. No one noticed him. Mm. And that's the truth. Paddy Madden's in that league. We forget about Paddy as well. Yeah. Even when he was on form, he had to play championship. But like many others, you just mentioned there, when Richie was at the dock, what was his record? When he 47 and 94? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it, yeah. I think you have to do something special as a League of Ireland player. Really but, special. But but even Richie did it to be he fair. Did. To Pat Holm yeah. doing it this year. Chris Shields is doing it this year. Yeah. There's a lot of players. Mike Delaney's doing it. Uh, I suppose the, the the two things is one is the other night, um, Martin O'Neill needed a big goal um, and he looked at the strikers on the pitch. And if a chance fell to anybody that's Irish at the moment, I think it's hard to argue that Pat Hoban is the most informed striker yeah. we have. All right, be, people will question the level he's at, but. I'd rather have fell to him than anyone else at the moment. Sean Maguire is an exceptional striker, but he's, he's coming back to form. Um, he's come back from injury. So we don't, we're not blessed with these strikers at yeah. the moment. So it is something, it is, a, it is definitely a question we have to ask of why is he not there, thereabouts, definitely in terms of his form. Because I think what's annoying, like if Sean Maguire came in last night and he's not fit, you know, but he actually linked play quite well yeah, a couple yeah. of times and looks quite accomplished now. And yet he should probably have more caps than he has already because he, he probably should have been capped when he was in the league here you know that's the thing that he's that was his third cap I think last night now I know injuries have, have snookered him but he should be more experienced at that level now and wasn't because of the the fact that he had to leave to, to get in there you well, know? Uh, and you want the manager to see that you, you want the manager to, to not uh, Stephen's line was I, I, it's not my fault that, I can't, that the other coaches can't see what I can see or words to that effect and you sort of want the international manager at times to say no this guy's a talent and I see him in my team rather than needing him to be picked by a manager in England but what, you know, what is these managers when Martin O'Neill etc when he come watch games what is it that they're looking at well this is the question are now, you going just to say they went just to get a photo what is it what is, I will say in his, in his defence that I spoke to someone who sat near him at the Shamrock Grovers and Dock game in in the 5-2 which was the first week of June and I think he was impressed by Michael Duffy then. and I think if Michael Duffy's clearance had gone through it's very possible Michael Duffy could have been in the squad this autumn um, as someone said during the game he was pretty intently taking notes and watching thing the whole time and you know he's gone to he has gone to more League of Ireland matches probably this year than Trapatoni did in his time as manager so he has gone to games but I still um, think he has the mentality that you have to go to England he more well, than said so. a framework that, that okay I threw you in for your debut but if you want to stay in the squad you have to go to England as it's happened Cranebrook has gone to Preston and isn't in the team flip it around if Cranebrook has stayed to Shamrock Rovers who are on a very very good run at the moment you know, there'd be more of a clamour for him yeah yeah. yeah. If, if, so if Cranebrook was obviously he was keen to go and the move was right and he, he's gone to Preston but you wonder if, if Cranebrook was in the uh, was in the Shamrock Rovers team now on the run that they're on in the league would he be in the squad probably not because I think there's still that hang up about League of Ireland is it's inherently if you're in the League of Ireland you're just not there but that, but that, that view is held by people in Ireland too I mean that's not course, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean you know there's, there's people who've played football at a very good level here who would steadfastly take that view. And sometimes it's actually players that go away to England and see how tough it is over there. Some of the ex-League of Ireland lads you'd speak to who would be very much now like, actually, yeah, you actually need to get to that level. But I don't know how we, how we get out of that cycle. Well, I suppose, I don't know Martin's um, mentality and Irish players. I've never discussed it with him and I don't know. But he has shown a, a huge interest in, in League of Ireland football compared to the previous manager. Um, he does attend a lot of games um, and he shows good support to us I was only thinking about the other night when you look at Witzel who plays for um, Belgium he gets he goes through the World Cup 
we caused them a lot of problems two years years ago mm. with a midfield tree of of you know Shields, whether it was McElhenney, Ronan Finn, Benson, um, yeah. Benson yeah. caused you know we we caused them a lot of trouble. You do need players playing at really testing themselves, and that's why your Europe is important to players. Or you do what Sean McGuire done at Cork, and you score all them goals. You do need to be exceptional to be in that mm. bracket. To be fair, um, because it is a big leap. But there is there is times where. We probably need to be braver with the likes of whether it was Sean McGuire at the time. And, yeah, and put him if, in. You, if you've no strikers scoring but players, goals. Players so can yeah. adapt. Yeah. And that's people forget that. Like You can only beat what's in front of you. And if, at this moment, Patrick Holman can only beat League of Ireland defenders. He's doing it. And he's, he's, he's beating his own record and everyone else's record. So last week, I don't know, was he invited up to train? No, like no. that's they're just small things. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think see what so. I like against a so-called big voice. Yeah, I think. I think sometimes. Yeah, I think we need to get away from. And another point you're making: inviting someone into training. Either, either the manager wants him there and feels he's part. He could make a, an impact. Um, I can only give my personal opinion is that if a chance fell for someone with ten minutes ago last night against Wales, personally, of everyone that was on the pitch, I'd rather it fell to Hooban at the moment. And that's all I can say. I understand. Um, Martin is watching players play at a higher level and he feels they're in a better position. I would rather that chance fell to Patrick Hilburn last we night. We played U.S. fourth game of the season. Pat came on as a sub. And I thought to myself, here's Pat Hilburn back. Excited to see him back. First thing he said to one of the full-backs, Dane Massey, put the ball in the box and I'll throw myself at it. Simple message. And I was like, that's brilliant. You rarely hear a striker say such a thing. Yeah. That shows us confidence. And he's got 26 goals. 26 goals. Or 27 now. 27. He's up now. Yeah, after yeah. last week. Because that brings us on to last week. Because we need to, I suppose, review and uh, discuss what's been a sort of a hectic enough week with, between results and uh, managerial changes. So last Friday, we had Cork City beating Limerick 3 0. Uh, St. Patrick's Athletic lost 1 0 at home to Shamrock Rovers. I was at that game. Injury time goal for, uh, for Dan Carr with Gerard Bryan. Still in caretaker charge and various candidates been mentioned for the St. Patrick's elect job. Uh, Waterford, 2-1 loss at home to the dock. Another goal for, for Huben last week. And then on Saturday, we also had the Iron Brew Cup. Shane, we, 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 we've got Daniel Lambert coming on shortly to discuss uh, the Daily Man Park situation. But Shane Supple saving two penalties and scoring one to knock out Sutton. You were there. Aiden, yeah, it was so. some. His, his, uh, you don't often see keepers taking... Uh, Taking penalties, but uh, you can see Shane Supple's GA background. The way he took his uh, he took his penalty uh, it was kind of the one he scored for St Bridges against Bally Bowden St Enders or something like that. But it was a good, um, you know, we can judge about the standard and Bohemians. You know, a couple of years ago would expect it to be in Europe, and now they're you know going to extra time against a conference team. But uh, it was an interesting interesting occasion. I think uh, as. As I said, people enjoyed the enjoyed the day. It was just a strange. It's the closest Bohemians are getting to European football these days. And then also on Friday, of course, we had the first division playoff, first leg of the second round of the long playoff series. So, Drada Finn Harps finish one all, and yeah, the, the decider takes place this week. And then managerial changes. Jared Little, who um, is, has was told by Sligo Rovers over the weekend, his contract's not going to be renewed. I think so. The second the second visitor in a row to Oriel Park is this Friday. Sligo Rovers this week after Pats is coming with uh, their manager having yeah. been let go. And ironically enough, Liam Buckley now seems like he is the number one candidate and hot favourite to go to Sligo Rovers. So it's a, it's an interesting time of year. Um, you know, the managerial, we're used to the player merry-go-round and now this year it seems like the manager, Jerry merry-go-round. I mean, do you have some sympathy for Jared Little in his position, Vinny? I do, yeah. I think um, their away form, I think the third, fourth in the league in the away form, they've struggled at home. Um, 
but to be fair to Sligo, they do put huge resources into their into their team. Um, they're sort of back. I think they're more or less full time. The manager has been backed. Um, they've been. We went up there not that long ago and won two 0 but it was it was one of our toughest games of the season. To be fair, they were very very good. They're they're almost a really good side, and um, I suppose he's, he's effectively lost his job because people think they should be in a better position, but. You know, it is a very, very competitive league. You know, mm. they're they're probably they're probably a couple of home wins away from being comfortably a mid-table team, and and it hasn't reflected well on them in terms of their position. They've been flirting with that sort of Limerick for for such a long time, but um, they've they've got a good side, and they've got a, whoever goes into into the club um has a real platform, and and he's helped build that. To be fair to him, yeah. The the, the I should mention the other game I forgot to mention was Sligo Rovers losing away to Motherwell Colts on Saturday. Now I think their trip was held up, and they ended up travelling in the morning yeah, of the game, yeah. so probably wasn't ideal. Um, but what we are seeing is that it's well we've discussed it here before that the top clubs are remaining consistent over the period of time. I mean, Dundalk and Cork have battled out for five years in a row. Rovers have now qualified for Europe five years in a row, effectively it's these clubs in the middle that are sort of reaching around trying to find something they're trying to find something that can bring them to the next level and now managerial changes yeah. seems to be a factor like, in that as much as anything like Sligo Rovers is a strange one because I know we'll talk later on about, about John O'Connor the, the research he's done into club accounts and the, the work he did on Sligo shows they're actually very stable and the fundraising that goes in because Sligo are, are members own they don't have somebody putting in money but the, the work that's done to bring money in through, through lottos and everything else is, is exceptional So and financially they're, they're very stable it's just football-wise, they've been unstable. I think eight managerial changes between caretakers and everything else in three years, and and it's that sort of drive between, you know, maybe m- members and the board looking for for more back from what they're putting in. And I think just a bit of reality check because you, you can't compete with the resources of of, you know, a couple of years ago, Sligo were able to compete. They were able to bring the likes of Mark Quigley and people like that there, bring in good players from England. They're, they're, they still have that mixture uh, that the Brazilian Pincelli heard there earlier this year. They're still able to p- pick up players and they have a very good scouting network. But I think it's more aligned now on what I'm encouraged by Sligo is more local players coming in. McGinty, the keepers played the last couple of years. The likes of uh, Keeney and Mahan and people like that are, are getting a chance. And maybe Sligo need to take a reality check and say, look, we'll, we'll build for three years. We, we'll, we're not going to win the league. Try and try and win a cup. You know, maybe tr- try at some stage three, four years, get back into Europe. But there's a lot more comfort for Sligo Rovers than a lot of clubs would prefer to have the, the financial situation uh, that, that uh, Sligo Rovers the have. The still quite good, I must yeah, be saying. Yeah, and they do. When, when you go down there, it feels like a proper football ground with it, the training centre and maybe just, you know, be careful what you wish for that, that there's a lot, a lot of good things going on just that the, the team hasn't quite clicked but they, they stayed up. It is a competitive league. Maybe Sligo are thinking that they should be but it's, it's hard to break into that, the, the investment in, into, into Shamrock Rovers and Waterford the, the, the likes of St. Pat's Bohemians Derry have fallen behind that Sligo are thinking they should be maybe in that mix to, to get there but uh, I think just uh, Sligo just be, be careful what you wish for a change of manager all the time John you were, were, you, were you down in Sligo a couple of weeks ago yeah. for the game they had like two and a half thousand people there almost for yeah, uh, Mike, no it was their Michael birthday but yeah. There also, yeah. yeah fantastic crowd uh, very good game well I thought it was a very good game the crowd loved it um, like you said you walk in it's a, it's a real stadium it's, it's an actual football stadium Mm. what's your situation John we talk about the uncertainty of this time of year and obviously Bray are, are on the way down um, you've been injured for unfortunately you know a large part of the season yeah. so where, where where do you stand now as um, got three games left and I want to go out and win them that's mm. as simple as that uh, I don't know about next year all I know is this week we've got balls and that's all. personally that's all I'm focused on really yeah, I'm just happy to be back I sound very cliche saying that but I am yeah um, 
and I want to go and be both. How challenging a year has it been for you to be sort of Oh, the, the toughest, the toughest, yeah. The toughest with, with, um, by far. Many managers come in, um, not much has changed. And you're walking in new managers and some of them are like, you out for the season? And you're like, no, uh, I'm not. I'm waiting to see a physio. Could you please appoint a physio? Yeah. These are, and this is, was an ongoing basis. So this was weeks. during your injury Yeah, and you're, you're, again, when you're injured, you're no use to anyone. Well, so you believe and they make you believe that. Um, so it's been tough. It's really, really tough. But in a sense, of course, I'm back and I'm very great, more great than I ever have been playing football. Mm. And again, it sounds cliche, but it's the truth. Um, but it was a great experience looking back and like I've, I've learned so much, not just from a playing side, but watching coaches and watching everything else that goes on. Really? And what, what sort of stuff now? Like giving away all your secrets you're storing for no, your future endeavours? there's no but. secrets about it. You look at teams who are successful and they don't just think about the 11, they don't think about 7, 6 or 5, they think about the whole 18 or 24. Mm. We, we were talking earlier about the, trying to make the league more professional and get, get more players international squads. So in terms of professionalism for a player like yourself at a club like Bay Wanderers, what's the support network when you're out injured long term? What is the, the actual support network? Or is there one? There is none. There was no protocol. There was none. There was none. You're chasing up people. You're texting messages. You're, you, you feel guilty asking someone a question that you shouldn't feel guilty for. Is that just for, you know, who's going to look after this? Of course. Yeah, there, yeah, there's no protocol. That, that was just a, a my club. I don't think it's different than every other club. Um, there was no delegation. There was nothing. And I was thinking about it, obviously, since the injury, you know, the last couple of days. Heard a lot of excuses. We're not full time. We don't have money. We don't have this. We don't have that. This isn't Bray. This is just Ireland. We love to make excuses. But I'd like to think if you delegate and think about your job, I'm pretty sure you can get a lot of people in for free. Mm. And, you know, you might not have the best physios, but if you have a very good physio, they can bring in physios who are studying. They need placement. They'll do it for free. Mm. You know, these are small things. Like two hands or four hands are better than two and um, the whole lot. But what I'm trying to say is there was no protocol. Yes, there was a lot of people, but they were just doing nothing. Mm. and that's that's just on on injury that's just due to um, on the injury basis and I think we've had Jesus four or five long term injuries this year yeah and that that breeds its own problems yeah they know. all could have been prevented like everything bar Andy's in the dock yeah. the rest of them could have been prevented mm. but he wasn't and no one was accountable how do you feel about the future of Braydon as someone who's who's been there where do you think things are going have you uh, spoken to Gary Cronin about next year or anything nah, like that no, no not at all um like I said, I'm just thinking about this Friday. Uh, but the future of Bray, they're relegated. It's disgusting. To be honest, it's absolutely disgusting to associate yourself with such a thing. You know, um, I see the have player awards and, okay, I know you want to celebrate. You've survived the year as a person and whatever, but I'm, I'm personally disgusted. Like, Really? Of course, you're relegated. Mm. Probably the worst league record in history. Am I wrong in saying that? Uh, there's been, I think, there's been worse. Okay, there's been worse. There's been worse, but yeah, it's Best, but worse of the last couple of years, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, am I surprised we're relegated? No, 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 because you're hearing such things like, "Let's go out today," and not this week, but in general, you've heard such things as, "Let's not try and lose," and you're kind of like, "What?" Them tossing never came to my head. I was, I woke up today thinking I'm going to win. I prepared to win. That's mm. why I'm here to be better, to win, to progress, and you're hearing such. Sound bites and people just holding reins back, and we talk about confidence. 
of lads playing international football, European football. I look at the Bray boys. Look at a lot of players, mainly the Bray. It's my team. And when I was injured, I was thinking the shadows. They're only shadows of themselves. Their confidence is gone, mm. and that's a massive factor in football. Yeah, and it, it, does that become demoralised? And does that set in that attitude set into the group? Then you know if yeah, of course, yeah, of course. Sometimes again, I was injured, so I was, and not that it wasn't much I could do. There could have been, but yeah, watching the game, you think to yourself, you can predict how today's going to go, which looking at body language. Mm. And the same when you go to Oriel Park, you look at the boys; they're six foot tall. Every single one of them, they're confident in their approach. They've trained well. They've not they've won the match before the start, but they've done everything they needed to do. They're prepared 100%. And they know it themselves. And that's very hard to be. Mm. When you're coming against such a round. Flip side of it, you're like, they've beaten themselves. Yeah. So you, you feel Bray could, with all the turmoil at the club, do you still believe that Bray could have stayed up this year? Well, yes. Is it, <laughs> yes. Is, is it a case that there was a professionalism in the squad and that wasn't reflected in the club or the, the, the hierarchy? or? <sighs> no, I think it stems back from the whole off-season last year and there was late appointments and late appointments and late signings and I don't think anyone had a a plan a set target you know anyone to say we're going to reach Europe we're going to get forced we're going to get I didn't hear such words mm. I didn't I don't even I don't even know if managers say such things anymore of course you used to Vinny you know you, you reach you set goals targets you reach them and there's no secret that's the truth of it you know I remember that first year and we got beat by Sligo up in a home and Stephen was like had a one tonight we would have went second or something yeah that was that was because you were at the dock for the, the first season yeah. the Kenny the Kenny era so you've seen that first hand I guess you know how it works mm. yeah John was in our in our first squad um, would have played right full for us most of that season himself and Mark Rossiter would have flipped and changed Mark was injured quite a lot that year so but they, they yeah. set goals and they're constantly setting goals and they're achieving them yeah and it's it, I suppose um it, it is a little bit of that argument of, you know, and sort of Aiden sort of alluded to it slightly is, you know, Dundalk and Cork are, are away and they're in Europe and there's this argument of, of money is coming into it. But in that first year back in 2012, like, we came second and, you know, our, our back four was Dane Massey, Mark Rossler, Andy Boyle and John Sullivan. And with all due respect to the four of them, we, we didn't chase them up to Oreo throwing loads of money at them we we, we handpicked them and um, we finished second that year and I suppose when you look at the back four that we had throughout the whole European run it was Sean Gannon from St. Pat's um, he left Shamrock Rovers St. Pat's he was available for everyone else to sign Brian Gartland from Porter Down available for everyone else to sign Andy Boyle available for everyone else to sign and Dane Massey from Bray Andy was from Shelbourne at the time um, and Chris Shields was already at the club so if you think of that back five that gave us and Peter Cherry was there at the beginning then it became Gary but that back four were, back five was there for everyone else Stephen O'Donnell part of that back five had been released they were over. So that was there for everyone else so why can't the Sligo Bray Limerick uh, aspire to get, get into that sort of upper echelon it's not money it's just an excuse it is now an excuse that I think a certain amount of the media will throw out and other managers will throw out you have to aspire to be better and that 
that would be sort of a similar po- it's more difficult obviously when you're coming from a low web to be fair to yeah. people involved with Bray I think the new regime look like they're very professional and they want to do things the right way and they'll probably take the medicine for a couple of years and rebuild and the connection to Joey's is is something that's exceptional and what a platform mm. they have to give young players a, a, a chance but you have to aspire to to be you know to be able to compete and you can't use money as an excuse it's not good enough like well, that's, the, that's topical because the use of resources brings us on to another club who are Bohemians, who are a club this year who've been, I think, hailed for making the best of, of what they've got. And the big news about Daily Mount in the last week was the announcement of further de- developments with regard to Daily Mount Park. So we had Daniel Lambert from Bowes in earlier, the marketing and commercial director, to ask him about, just to give us an update on the state of affairs at Daily Mount and I guess with Bowes generally. So here's how that discussion went. Well, Bo's been making the headlines for a couple of reasons in the last week, not just the Iron Brew Cup, but we've had the announcement about Daily Man Park and the confirmation, I guess, that, well, it was that things are moving, that things are on the way, I guess. Maybe, I think people are probably broadly aware of it, but just let us know where things stand at the moment, I guess, from, from your perspective. Yeah, I suppose the, was, the easiest way to explain it is there was a three-stage process with Daily Man. Um, if you go back, say, uh, pre-2015, November 15, um, DCC completed the sale of Daily Mount. We sold Daily Mount to them, and they, they acquired ownership of the site. So that, that was stage one, really. So when we looked at the difficulty we got into with Daily Mount, it was first bringing the stadium into public ownership, which was secured in November 2015. Since then, until now, we've been in stage two, and stage two was really around um, having... Um, Costings drawn up, um, having a feasibility study and analysis drawn up on the economic impact Daily Mount could have for the area, and basically bringing a case uh, and, and, and uh, a case to, to government for funding. And this report by Rembridge um, that was released um, last Wednesday that basically sets out uh, meeting the government criteria for funding, what we want to get from Daily Mount, what the council want to get from it, and. Uh, that's where we are now, and uh, we're really happy with, with what they've put into that, um, how it looks, uh, the kind of the, the entire kind of uh, outline of the new stadium. A lot of what we wanted is in there, and now it's up to us to kind of um, bring about political pressure to make this happen. And we're confident it will. Um, you know, Dublin City Council paid a lot of money for that report. It was a public tender. This isn't the kind of imagery we've seen before, where clubs put out images of new stadiums and and you know with the best intentions, and they don't happen. This was something that was. Uh, that was, a tender went out for and a company came in a really uh, reputable company that did the Liberty Stadium um, they've done a, stadiums across the UK and they came in and, okay. and done this report so I mean what are the talking points and it's, it's natural you do mention like the uh, you know the, the stadiums that we see in the past and we've all seen these models and we've all seen these sort of uh, grand designs as such now but, but one thing about last week that I think previously people had a 10,000 sort of capacity thing in mind I guess and then it comes out as 6,000 last week what was the process of getting from A to B with that and how, how did it come that that was the figure that you've now reached as a sort of a the plan going forward I guess yeah I think the 10,000 figure I was looking back I'm not sure where exactly that came from initially I think it was just it just developed itself it didn't come from anywhere concrete um, where the figure of 6,000 really came from there was we set a couple of red lines when we set out into this process there's a group that meet uh, regularly with ourselves in Shelburne the FAI Dublin City Council um, kind of the main stakeholders and we set our agenda as a, as a group of Bohemians representatives before we attended those meetings and we had certain things that we wanted to get from the stadium and number one on that list was that it wasn't a phase redevelopment again we've seen this happen in the past where you maybe get a stand or two built okay. and it can drag for, for 10, 15 years the, the, the other stages might never happen and from a design perspective and from like trying to you know get a sense of four sides we've had Daily Mount long enough now it's two sides we didn't want that to happen so that was a, a key issue for us and when this company Renbridge came in 
they look at uh, historical attendances over the last kind of 10, 15 years. They look at growth patterns, you know, decline, whatever it may be. And the reality of it is that it's 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 not possible to justify an attend a capacity above 6,000 for the gates that ourselves and Shelburne get. Um, you know, and we'd, we, we'd aspire to grow them beyond six, but it's not possible with a public project, with public money, f- to make the rationale for that. And then, you know, 8,000, I think, maybe could have been a possibility, but that would have led down a road where it was a phase redevelopment. And, co- and cost as well, because 8,000 is a threshold for Category 4 UEFA mm-hmm. Stadium, which is just, people may not be fully aware, but that's just if a club gets to the a group stages, which is a wonderful discussion in, in theory to have, yeah, but, yeah. and for the quality of games you can host. But is there a financial aspect with that as well, practically Absolutely. too? Yeah, yeah. The, the cost was significantly higher to go to 8,000. And if you get the UEFA Category 4, there's lots of, if you look through the the, uh, the documents and this, and they're on the UEFA website, they get into like the number of car parking spaces for VIPs. It gets quite complex and all of those things bring cost and also you have a limitation in, in, the in an urban, in a very urban area. Absolutely. Yeah, the yeah. site size there wouldn't allow for, you know, the hundreds of car parking spaces. Um, so, and 6,000 as a club, to be honest, like we think we'll sell out 6,000 regularly enough. Uh, if you look at the games this year against Shamrock Rovers, against Cork, you know, there's, we will sell out a capacity of that size, I think, and we can grow into it. And it's not a bad thing to sell out a stadium, you know, it creates its own demand so I don't think you always need to have excess seats there and it's somehow a problem if, if people can't go that's a good thing mm. and we've seen it this year where our online sales now they've gone up and up and up and people maybe if they couldn't get to a game they buy a ticket early for the next game and that's good for the club and good for the league so I, I don't think the, the capacity is a big issue for us at all um you're representing Bowes. I mean, this is that's your this is your stake in the game. But are you having sort of much discussions with the Shelburne people and, and the Shelburne side of things during this process and getting a handle on and how they feel about how how things are sort of developing? Um, well, they meet with us on the monitoring group. So as you said, now we wouldn't have discussions with how it's progressing for them. They'd attend the meetings and they'd they'd you know have a say the same as we would. We're we're, we're both going to be anchor tenants for the new stadium. That's that's the reality. We've an equal share in it. But I have I've seen obviously like everyone else has online the, the fan reaction with some shells. I'm surprised by it. I think one thing that um, maybe people aren't bearing in mind is that if you think of the old Lansdowne Road and the new Aviva, the new Dailyman will bear no resemblance whatsoever. There won't be one one like square meter of soil that's the same. The entire place, the pitch shifts. Is it flipping to the ninety degrees? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it'll be on a north-south axis, um, so there, you won't recognise anything, and that that's sad for a Bowes fan. But that's the reality of the new stadium, and I think that uh, you know, but that brings its own kind of benefits. If, if I was, was a Shelburne fan, I'd be happy with that. You're not arriving to somewhere that's familiar as as your kind of rivals or your or your neighbours' ground. It's a new ground for two clubs to operate from. Uh, again, this may be something that may not have actually been happening. Uh, it could be like the ten thousand thing, but. I, I sort of vaguely recall at some point there was a suggestion there could be like a, a bow side and a Shelburne side as such. Is that is that something that's viable in terms of like a, a front to house of, of you know bows at one end and shells at the other? Is that yeah, in no, this it's, plan? It's not. Again, you come back to the f- point that this is going to be a public facility and public money to build it. So one of the key um, the key a key process all along has been the involvement of the local community, local residents, and. Uh, residents in Fibsborough have a list of things that they've wanted for a long time some of them's community meeting spaces a bigger library um, a plaza that leads away from the two national routes that kind of cut the village in half and when you build two stands one side has to meet UEFA category 3 so that's going to have the football and business that'll be the St Peter's Road side so that has your anti-doping rooms your referees rooms your club facilities club offices um, hospitality areas and the other stand um, under this kind of report now the, the preferred option that entire stand will be community use and again, I think that's a positive. And you think of Daily Mount now, you know, it sits, it's been, we've played there since 1901. If you're not a Bose fan, you never see Daily Mount. You, you see the lights, that's it. You, you walk around it, you've no way to interact with it. 
And in this new space, residents of the area, young kids will come there. They could be going to the library. They could be going for a, a yoga class. It could be anything. But they'll see Daily Mount and it becomes a part of their kind of environment. And right now it's not. And most League of Ireland grounds aren't. So if I'm a five or six-year-old and I'm going in there, you know, to do finger painting or something, mm. I'm looking at a football ground and I'm probably asking my parent, what's this? You know, can we come here? So again, I think that's a big plus for both clubs, having community involvement in the stadium as well. Aidan, what do you make of this? I mean, you're, you, you live in the environs, I guess, so you're sort of well-placed to know what something like this could do for the, the community. Uh, I am extremely un, unwell-travelled. I, uh, I grew up in Fisborough and live in Cabra now, so I spent all my life in uh, Dublin 7, so Daily Mount's always been part of my life. I actually went to school in St Peter's, so some people have their sports days in, uh, in the school school grounds or in the um, in the local park. We had our school sports day in, in, on the pitch in Daily Mount, so it's been part of my life. First starting game there in 1983, so I've seen it good times and bad and decline and as somebody lives in the area still what Daniel is saying is there's no social hub to Daily Mount I saw amazed recently saw that survey about the American magazine with Fipser of one of the top 30 places in the world to visit which somebody who spent all my life I, I don't know what you go and visit in, in Daily Mount apparently there's a Harry Clark uh, stained glass in St Peter's Church apart from that but if there'd be somewhere to go and you know somewhere that is for the community it's not just for, for the football club that you can go there there's the Alzheimer's group have their have their sports day there. If you're a kid, it's not just about going there on a Friday night that you can have your birthday party there as a six-year-old. Maybe your mother or your parents have brought you there as a toddler group when you're, when you're small. You go there as a six-year-old for your birthday party. You start going to matches then. And by the age 10, 12, you're, a, you're and then as life progresses, you might be renting the facilities yourself to, you, to use a meeting room. So somewhere, just Fizzler has always lacked that that hub somewhere to go and if you've somewhere to go we've seen that sometimes when we travel with Irish clubs in Europe particularly in the continent in Scandinavia you see it in, saw it in, in Basel saw it's it all in, self-contained isn't it the yeah ground, but there's somewhere yeah. to go and, and, and it's it's not just you know uh, uh, Tron, all, all, particularly in Scandinavia time, yeah. Yeah, that, that you have reason to go there that Basel the stadium the, the stadium in Basel it's all around there's, there's activity there's I think there's an old folks home St. Pauli is another one I think there's a there's a uh, crash in, in the St. Pauli ground that it's 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 not just somewhere you go at half seven on a Friday night and leave at 10 o'clock it's somewhere you go and as a local resident um, I'm hoping that that something comes comes of it. Um, there's obviously a, a political process that comes now as you mentioned and you maybe not be like privy to sort of disclose every aspect of the lobbying that goes on but I mean it's fair to say Pascal John who's been a good supporter of the project he's spoken about it. I think we've spoken to him about it at, 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 at some point um, like do you have a sort of a real sense behind the scenes on a time scale here a real a real sort of realistic time scale in terms of when things can get going Daniel yeah we do um, as you said it is a political process now that's for sure and you know all of this is dependent on funding but you know all the soundings are really good we've, we've you know there's people talking to people all the time from the council from ourselves from the FAI and the soundings back have been really excellent Um and the timeline uh, has changed very slightly in the last two days. So the timeline that, that, that we were given as part of this report um, was based upon there being no delays whatsoever and that this was how it would work if everything fell into, into position perfectly. And that was that we'd leave at the end of next season, that we'd be out for 2020 and 21 and back in for 22. Uh, I've had some discussions and the club has had discussions with the council since then and that's actually going to be pushed back one year to allow for delays so we're going to be in there next season and the season after in Daily Mount yeah we're going to be out for 21 and 22 and back in for 23 and that allows a kind of you know a number of months of lag Um, and again some of that relates back that change relates back to one of the positions that we've had and I'm sure that that Shelburne would echo in that we we made it very clear at the start as well we weren't willing to leave Daily Mount mid-season or to leave you know or to come back in mid-season it just it's it's not really plausible in terms of uh, sponsors, infrastructure around the stadium, in terms of you know food vendors, fans. So we always made it clear that we leave you know only in in the season break, mm. and that fits into this. Um, so 
we'll have two more seasons there. And again, I think, you know, we've chatted to a lot of fans. I think Aidan would probably echo this. I think the day we walk back into there will be a great day. And I can already hear two or three games in, you know, people saying, I miss the old place. You know? Yeah, of course. And, and I'll miss it forever. So, you know, um, I think enjoy Daily Mount now for the last two seasons. Anyone who comes and visits, like Sutton United there on Saturday, I mentioned to some people, anyone who comes to visit Daily Mount really enjoys it. And it gets knocked a lot. And, you know, there's no covering up. Two sides are, are condemned. You know, we can't use them. But for what's there, I think it's a special place still. And uh, it's something that, you know, our fans really, really love going to. I just know when the news comes out, there'll be a bit of unease on, oh, another year. What does this mean? But you're, you're fully confident that this is just something that's, that's necessary. Absolutely, you know? yeah. yeah. The scale of the project, like basically what you have is a five, five and a half acre site, full demolition, you know, designed team to be appointed in the next couple of weeks. It's a big project, and, you know, again, in a, in a very urban area. So I'm sure there's going to be constraints putting it in terms of hours of operation, of construction, you know, not to impact upon local residents too much. This is just... You know, this isn't coming from the council. This is when I've looked into other projects myself. So I think, uh, you know, the idea of, of sticking to a really rigid timescale like that was optimistic. And that's the word we're getting back. If we build in an extra year there, it makes the entire makes process. Yeah. Just just before we let you go, um, naturally, you know, the, the the situation with Dalemount has been tied in with the recent history of Bowes, you know, through, through good and bad and the highs and the lows. And it's it's always been the thing that's hanging in the background. And, You've had a very good season. I think people will acknowledge the cup semi-final, a bit of a disappointment. But there's always the danger this winter that you might lose players. This is just inevitably sort of a consequence of, of your status as part-time players. I know there's been questions about will the club you know, be looking to move full-time and, and these are the, the common questions that are coming your way. Is anything like that sort of out of the question until you maybe get back around to a new data man because you've got a couple of years in Talca Park coming albeit push back which I imagine are going to be quite challenging for the club and is that something you have to factor into whatever yeah. decisions you make going forward yeah you've hit the nail on the head totally like the, the years in Talca are going to be extremely difficult um, and you know you look at losing bar income commercial income will drop what do you budget for your crowds do you budget a 10% drop 20% 30% it brings a lot of big questions that there are no clear answers to so you know, everything we look at now is really done in a three and four year kind of cycle in terms of finances. And that's to protect the club and to protect the budget that's available to the manager. You know, there is no, there's no benefit in trying to increase the budget by, you know, by, by, by a decent amount and then having to pull that back. You need to maintain a level of consistency. And when it comes to full-time football, it's something that we're constantly just trying to look at. And, you know, I mentioned this as well the other day, like the, the idea of being a full-time player in Ireland, is that a good model? You know, and you speak to ex-professional players who've, you know, gone the distance in terms of being with full-time clubs in the league and earning, you know, the three or 400 euro more than the, than the part-time club, inverted commas. Is that, is that a good life decision for players? Very often it's not, you know, and I think the, the idea, and we mentioned it coming in there to John, like the idea of being full-time or part-time, that's often a state of mind. You know, the Dublin football team are part-time in GAD. They're not an amateur group of people. So that, that rests very very often internally. And that's not to say that we shouldn't, as a club, try and give the players you know, and, and, um, as much as we can and look after them as best we can. But this idea that you need to be full-time football all the time, I, I, I don't think that that's, that's correct. I think that people, it's, it's simplifying kind of you know, mentality among players and it's simplifying what, what people from the outside see as being the optimal model. But talk to ex-players and we've done it and they'll just... They're not clear on it themselves. But is it a danger that it could be slightly demoralising, though, for people around the club if you lose another? You know, players become come in, they become loved, you know, and, oh, then, yeah, and then yeah. and then they move on, and it it can be hard to withstand Absolutely. those blows. Yeah, I think, and that's up to us as a club to communicate the 
the reality of the league now, you know, if we look at, and there's a guy on, on Twitter there, Chippy John O'Connor, who's put out some great stuff on this, a club member at Bowes who's, who has a finance background. The financial records, yeah. I recommend yeah. people read that, definitely. And you look at that and you try, like the reality of Bohemians is now we have no assets. So our sole asset was Stadium and Park. So as a club, we're a member's own club, but no assets. We cannot make a loss. It's, we have to make a profit each year. Um, and that is our reality now. Um, so if you're in that kind of situation and we're a member's own club, our crowds are good. They've been improving. They they need to improve a lot more. We can't uh, can't be complacent. Our commercial income has improved. It needs to improve more. But we're happy with the way we're going. And our reality as a club in that space is that we are offering the w- wages that we can afford to. Uh, you know, everyone's a volunteer in terms of the club. We've you know all the board of directors are volunteers. So we're doing things as best we can. And if it's the case that that you've got private money coming in everywhere more or less at the moment, that uh, you know that at Dundalk or you know, Shamrock Rovers or Waterford outbid you on a player and he needs to, and, and he wants to leave. We, get, we can't do anything about that at the moment. And that's mm-hmm. the reality of it. And it's just maybe about communicating that to, to members and supporters and letting them know that reality. Because if we were to get into a situation to keep a player that we might really want to keep and, and go above what we've budgeted, that puts the club in jeopardy. And, you know, I'd look back through our, our finance records last night from 1952-53 season. A guy gave me some old documents and I had a look through it. And, you know, um, the club back then, one of the things I have on my phone here, it stated was that we were, we were losing players to professional clubs and that we needed to, to take measures to counteract this. This is like you know, 60, 70 years ago. But what's great about reading that is Bose was around in 1952 and it's around in 2018. And not a lot of other clubs in the league can say that. You know, they've gone and they've come back in different guises and we've, we haven't done that. So it's always been a problem Bose has faced, but it's also been the thing that's protected the club in the long term, that member model. So I think that that's something that you know, needs to be kept in mind just, just finally the Iron Brew Cup then you uh, got East Fife in the quarterfinals you've, you've mentioned I think you're trying to bring that game forward if at all possible so yeah, when might we find out if that's uh, I'm hoping to, to announce in the next day or two we did flag like this is an issue from the start with the Iron Brew Cup was that um, you know the, if you were to progress in rounds which thankfully we have the next fixture is due to fall in the second week of November um, you know which isn't great because it's you know players are finished a couple of weeks beforehand so uh you know, ho- hopefully we can bring it forward. Hopefully we can we can have a good game and beat East Fife. And, and then what do you yes. do? I'm not sure what we do after that. To be honest with you, we'll probably push the next one back a bit. I think it's not due till February then, oh, so it might be in okay, a, okay. might be back yeah. in pre-season. But um, right. no, nah, it's been great so far. The thing about the Iron Brew for me is that, like you know, at the moment we're we're not we're not in Europe. We haven't been in Europe for a couple of seasons. You're playing the teams from different countries. Fans are over. There's a few hundred something fans there. We could serve drink in the stadium because it wasn't a you know an, an SSC or Tricity game. And it was a great feeling. I think Aiden said it. Brilliant feeling around yeah, the ground. Sutton fans had a ball and they said it was like, it was a bit like jumpers for goalposts, but they, they enjoyed, there was no, and talking to a few of their fans and even the reaction online after that, they're saying this is how football should be. It was afternoon, you could get your, come back, you go into the bar, come back with your pint in your hand or get a burger or a pie and watch the game. And it, it, was, it was a bit old school, but it was, I, certain, I was at two matches on Saturday. It was at both Sutton United and Ireland-Denmark and I know which game I enjoyed more. Well, that's fair enough. Uh, will there be a few bars in the new Daily Mount, actually? This, is this there will, a, there will. We're not sure how that's going to work. Shelburne have a licence and so do we. And I get two, Johnny was here to be asking about the craft beer. Will it yeah, be, will yeah, it be the, safe going be forward? craft beer you know? everywhere. Craft beer, <laughs> vegan pies, the whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cheers, Daniel. Thanks for coming in. So, no okay, so that was Daniel Lambert. Um, and the, the lads were sort of there for some part of that discussion, so you're, you're aware of what the, the topic was. And what he spoke about at the end, John, with regard to the definition of full time and I know that you're like uh, you work up in the Ben Dunn gym you're sort of uh, you're into your fitness and you're sort of looking after yourself and so on and I suspect that's something you would subscribe to as a mentality in terms of a, a full time belief full time approach to your game of course like full time part time it is a mindset 
Okay, some train in the morning, some train in the evening. Doesn't matter how long you train for, it's what you do when you're training, and that's a fact. And what you're doing outside of training that makes a difference when you do train. Mm. You know, your daily decisions determine your destiny. Again, a cliche, but it's the truth. You know, you look at Vinny's boys, and I doubt they go home and start doing things that's going to make them become worse footballers. The decisions will be have improved I imagine over the last couple of years because they're educated. Mm. You know, and they set they set themselves daily goals, etc. But what I'm trying to say, yeah, part-time, it's just, it's another excuse and we need to stop using them. You know, part-time clubs still train four or five days a week and so do the full-time clubs. So yeah. it's just an excuse. The, the, the flip side of that, Vinny, is that you've gone full-time this year yourself, that you were, you were juggling a job with being assistant manager and I remember speaking to you before about the challenge and maybe it's slightly different from management to to players right so it's not necessarily a like for like but you would have had a couple of players in your group that would have been had other things going on you've flipped around to mornings you've changed your schedule have you noticed the difference in that in terms of an improvement in some ways yeah it's massive it's um it gives us an opportunity to to work on on stuff you've you, the difference with players turning up at five o'clock six o'clock in the evening to half nine in the morning means all the rehab prehab um general fitness work uh can be it can be maintained and we can stay on top of it. Tactical work, you've you've plenty of time to do it. Players are fresher. Um and they're they're just they're just ready for their the environment of being a footballer. So it's massive being a massive help to me. Um I think we've always been sort of full time mentality in, in a part time setup, but our players didn't didn't generally work, you know, nine to five. Some like Dave McMillan was 20 hours a week or something 20 hours a week and with different lads Dan Massey done it done 20 hours a week but um, the flip from that is is massive gives them a huge advantage in terms of their their life lifestyle um, how they you know prepare for games how they prepare for training um, the gym regime we've a we've a, a state of the art gym fitted into Oriel now so they will use that after training so it gives them it gives them an extra edge um, in terms of you know being yeah, it's, 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 it's easier to, to manage more or less basically it's easier to manage yeah okay yeah that's uh, and that's the truth of it it's, it's, but it, even the, those who are trained you was one of the league first season part not part time but even training yeah we we trained in the evening and what like it'd be wrong to call it you don't work under Stephen Kenny and be part time it just doesn't exist yeah okay um, whether it was 20 years ago at Longford Town or or with Dundalk for the last five, four or five years but we trained in the evenings but there is, there is from a coach's point of view. You see, in Melwood, they've, in, you know, they've put floodlights into the training ground. They've put Man City floodlights. So if they're playing at seven o'clock in the evening in the Champions League, they probably train the evening. So yeah. it's all about, it's all about um, time. The time of when you train is not important. Um, look, it does. Is it? Are you going to be the best footballer if you're working in a factory floor nine to five and rushing off to training, grabbing something quick to eat? No, you're not. So you want to give players the best opportunity. We're in a position to be able to do that now, um, and and we'll I think we'll get the benefits yeah. going forward. I, I guess it. it might depend on your job too, to yeah, a degree. Yeah, true. To be fair, and true. Because I do think earlier on in the season when you had this run of games, there's no doubt that the full time teams had a massive advantage. I remember going to watch Dundalk play on a Tuesday in Limerick, and you'd stayed overnight. I think the night before, you know, in the midst of that sort of mad schedule, and you've got players in the league that are teachers or trying to work in an office or whatever it might be. Like that's difficult when you when you had three games a week and traveling around the country 
I mean, like that has to be. You would speak to people at Bowes, Aidan. They would, they would struggle not, with that. But, but I think across, I think it's it's a, ch- a challenge for the league, and, and not everybody's got. And Daniel was talking about the definition of, and a lot of people say this: it's not just part time or full time. You talk about the dubs. You know, they're, they're not amateurs in their heads. It's to me the challenge for clubs who can't afford to pay. Uh, full time to me in Ireland often meant you could pay players enough they could live on that wage and didn't need a job outside of football and I think society has changed football has changed and the challenge for clubs who are technically part time the likes of Bohemians or or people like that will be can you manage that situation can you have a job where the job can be part of it can you a situation where somebody possibly works for the club Mm. where I I think you know John mentioned earlier on about you know physios trying to get placements like are there people out there who, who want to study sort of Want want to play for for League of Ireland club, but also want to study marketing or finance or something. But as part of their college placement, that they can work for that club, they can work on promotions. It's pretty logical, yeah, doesn't it? I mean, you know, strength. It's, it's how many easier than people realise. They just don't want to think big, and that's the truth. Mm. They'd rather make excuses because making excuses is so easy to do. It's always someone else's fault. And it's not. I'm, I'm not talking about sending somebody into Carla grounds to, to to sweep the stands or to to do to to, to wash the the seats or something like that. But it's, can you put your brain to that? And you look at a lot of people that the links and Pats had with NUIM. You know, to me, that the logic is for for a club. Somewhere like Derry, you know, Kenny Shields complained last week about trying to get young players. Maybe Derry should be thinking bigger. Well, can we offer something different that, okay, we, we can't keep everybody here at 16, but maybe can we look at, can we tie into to a local university where we can offer something different? So you want to stay here. So you can, we'll give you a, a contract of X amount of years. We have a scholarship with, with, uh, with whatever, Coleraine College, where we'll start you on the first year at least. I don't know the details, but yeah. to, just to think bigger, but not just... The, the the old the, the old thinking was that you, you got you, you signed full time with bows or drawhead or shells pats whatever it was and you got two grand a week and you could live off that and then on the 30th of October your contract ran out and all of a sudden you're out of football that to think bigger and say well tie in that you're going to be attached to this club for three years and as part of that you have a scholarship or you have some sort of scheme that you can you can work in the in the community or in the club uh, and develop your career uh, as well as your 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 work options as well as your football career. Because mm. you you would find that Dundalk, you're probably in a good position that you have some full time players there, Vinny, who've come the UCD lads, for example. They've come there off the back of a, mm. you know, getting their degree. Like you may not have a huge amount of lads there that are that have been lifetime career full time professionals who've got nothing else going on. Yeah, it's a, it's a life side, but it's know? also people like you're you're going to get some lads who just even if they're part time. That they won't work during the day anyway. They, they want to be footballer. They, they want to be a footballer, yeah. right? So you're going to get that. You're going to get. We 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 have an agreement with DKIT, and we sent some of our younger players there on scholarships. Um, a bit like what Pat's done. Jamie McGrath and Sean Hall went through the the minute system. The UCD guys, you know, who'd stay there and have their education. Um, it, it's a lifestyle change. I think the difference now is that. I think a lot of the younger players are more tuned in. They're always they're doing some whether it's a course online through the PFAI, all of this stuff. I think players are starting to do more things outside of the game. Even in our own group, we'd see. I know Gary Rogers done a course online mm. for argument's sake. So players are starting to think a little bit more outside the box, and they're starting to you know have something ticking away. Brian Gartland would do a little bit of coaching in terms of into a, from his basketball background and so people will do different things and it's really but like anything in life you'll have a couple of guys who just well even whether they're part with a part-time club or full-time club they just want to be footballers and it's not a lot you can it's hard to change to that, change that mentality not, yeah yeah and yeah. Uh, but look the benefits of being a full-time footballer i know for myself personally i was working you know like i, I gave up a career 
it, it, 20 year of building a career to, to, I took a break from her from a couple of years and it's such such a difficult decision it's a decision I thought I'd never make not in a million years but sometimes you've is got this to, the one that you've had this yeah, year yeah and decision. sometimes you've got to follow so your dream And you were working you, in a, is this, what was your job in a so, so catering so I, yeah I worked for a, a, um, a catering company happened to be based out on dock but it, uh, Martin Foot Equipment and I've been there six seven years but before to get that job I've obviously I worked for a, a couple of different companies but I've be, I've built a career well and part-time football was always something that when I played was something that paid the mortgage to be honest with you it was mm. handy or paid for the holidays and um, I remember one day walking into the into Talca Park and walking behind Stewie Bourne and Owen Heary and they're talking about their body fats and I've literally pulled into the car park five minutes before that I had a quick sandwich and gone I have to play against these fellas and that's when I realised the game was up for me. Like, but um, so you're always going to have that imbalance in this league because we're not a full time league. But again, it's 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 about what you do. You can be part time now and be just as professional yeah. as some of the professionals. That, that, that's my argument. That's that's the truth. Of course, the lifestyles are different. Hours and a day are different. But you got to be the best you can be without making excuses. You're you're doing other things outside of uh, outside of your football playing you mentioned coming in you're doing a bit of coaching with yeah Pier- coaching Pierce college. college yeah it's fantastic what level is that at or what are they playing in? Is it and division four in russell's college cool and how are you enjoying it yeah it's quality it's really 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 good like they it's fun it's <clears> challenging um but most of all it's fun yeah is it something longer term does the coaching thing appeal to you yeah um really does it that's i'm doing my badge at the moment just complete the b um i've got my own little goal i'm pretty sure it's Similar to Vinny's, get your pro license. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, no. I, I'd love to. I'd love to coach in, in the League of Ireland. Really would. And when I get there, and I'm saying when, I'm confident I will. I will take away these excuses. Yeah, yeah. Because you, you see things going on over the last week. Me you knowing here, he's also left Shelburne as well. It's a volatile, volatile sort of environment that doesn't put you off. Doesn't put you off going down that road. No, no. Like you wake up in the morning, and you tell yourself you're going to fail. You're going to fail. Mm. Doubt yourself. Why you, you down yourself? You know, everything is pre-calculated and if it's not, then it's just a guess. And if it's just a guess, then you're lucky. And m- maybe I'm wrong, but you've got to be calculating what you're doing and why you're doing it. And bring that belief into it, I guess. Of course, and same with the players. Mm. The weekend ahead, lads, just was, time is uh, running tight. We've got a full round fixture. We should also say, while I've been sitting here, we got a message through from the doc that John Mountney has extended his contract. So you're... Yeah. You're steadily building, you know, you're, you're, yeah, you're making John, good progress. John, I think he's heading into his seventh year with us and um, I think he's doing everything he can to get a testimonial. So <laughs> um, he, he, he did say yesterday he wouldn't share with Chris Shields. He'd want his Who would you play, Christmas. like Bohola FC or something like this? Or um, He hasn't played for anyone else. Like, it's not as if you can bring back one of his former... We can, we get Mind you, we could probably have master, a, a yeah. good... You know, ex, if we got some of our ex-players back, uh, it would be a decent game, to be fair. Yeah, you, know? you could have the Shields and Mountney sort of testimonial. Yeah. But, uh, probably have Griffin yeah. and Turner and Mulvena up top or something. <laughs> yeah, but you, you can come back, do a job. Uh, Terrell through the middle will give you something. Yeah, you Terrell through the middle. Andy right Boyle sent a half. Oh, Daryl yeah. Horgan. McMillan, you know, actually. Yeah, wouldn't, you wouldn't have McMillan. a bad side. Yeah. I think I'd manage that side, to be fair, for today. Um, <laughs> oh, fancy me chances. So, um, but like, I asked Johnny Ward this the other day, and he didn't get it. Or someone... Do you remember who scored the first goal, first league goal for Stephen Kenny's Dundalk? Do you remember? You were there that season. You were there that season. The first goal. I'm going to say Turner Mulvena. No. First goal. 
because the first game was a nil all draw with Shamrock Rovers right that was the first game of the season so you scored the following week yeah. the first goal scorer of the Kenny era it's the, it's the quiz question it'll be very popular in Dundalk maybe and nowhere else um Got, no, I'm going to leave you with that. Yeah, I'm going to leave you with that. Uh, we'll Is he working to, for crew now? We'll come no? back to it at the end. You could be. I think he might be. Yeah, yeah uh, John. John Dillon. John, John Dillon. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah. The first goal. People can tease people with that question, but the so mainly, but you are you are. This is one of the things about the chasing pack where we've got clubs at the moment looking for managers, and you're in a situation where you're tying down your players. It is a help to to have this clarity going for it yeah it is it's um the club have been very good in terms of um you know wanting the players to sign two-year deals and giving them that security over the off-season um, it also allows us then to manage the players over the off-season if they're not under contract you can't manage them so um it gives us you know gives us that license to manage people it gives people a bit of security um and uh, to be fair to someone like john john is someone a perfect example that someone that has grown with this group they all talk about Chris Shields and rightly so in terms of how he's grown into one of the best players in the league. John is someone of similar vein. When we took over, he was a young lad. He played most of football centrally. Um, we sit, we've seen him generally as a as someone that plays right-sided and he's uh, he's become a, a real leader in the group. You know, there's different types of leaders and he's, he's, um, he's not someone that'll shout and roar or people will, will presume he's a leader. Um, but, He's, a, he's become a real leader in the group and he's a big, big, strong part of what we do. And um, that was a big sign for us. We, we wanted that to happen and um, thankfully we got over the line the last couple of days. Good stuff. So so this Friday's game, we've got Bray against Bowes, as we mentioned earlier. John, you're looking forward to just getting out there? Not just getting out there. I'm looking forward to basically winning. winning. I, think, I think we've got that. Yeah, basically <laughs> winning, you know. Uh, <laughs> I want to be one of many that turns around. Uh, we've got Derry City against Cork. We should mention... You know, Cork, Aiden, John Caulfield. I think they had their AGM at the weekend, and I know Vinny is sitting here from the alternative sort of the alternative camp. But it does look like they're going to have to cut their budget for next year, which is the reality of Cork's model in terms of uh, where they're at. They, they they got the Champions League money. They didn't qualify for the Champions League again. Now there's going to be a cut. The squad's going to be trimmed. That's it's going to present a challenge for them. It is, but they've been preparing for that. A lot of the younger players have come in the last uh, Daily Butts and Murphy and a lot of the younger players have come in the last couple of weeks. I think they're pre- preparing for that, that they know that they're probably not going to be in the position they were two or three years ago to bring players down, bring down the likes of the Carl Shepherd. They're going to be harder to, to do and maybe more of a, a local focus. And I think as well, they've realised how hard Europe is. I think there was an assumption there for a while that, you know, when you could clubs going to run in Europe, Dundalk are there, Shells are there, Shamrock Rovers are there, is that I think Cork really found it hard. I think it's now six games the, the the, the four this season and two last year six games in a row without scoring in Europe I think you can't ignore that that's how difficult it is so I don't mm. think you can b- base everything on we're going to presume we're going to win around uh, you can't bank on that European money obviously they won't have Champions League money next year so it's it's a sign of the times Have any any interesting run-ins with John Caulfield lately Vinny? You want to, just, you want to discuss them here now? Not that I've seen no Not that <laughs> You didn't see them coming? I didn't see them, nothing coming no I had me back to anything that might have happened Alright okay that's interesting that's interesting <laughs> Uh, Dundalk Sligo Rovers on Friday we're not really going to go into predictions this week because we don't have time to run through it uh, you're going to be facing a, 
you know this interim manager situation coming in that's always a sort of a, a sort of a challenge yeah I presume Kevin Deary has left as well Kevin I'm not Le- sure whether he'll take over he's someone again a young coach coming through that's disappointing if he's lost his job as well yeah. Kevin, Kevin was doing good work there um, the other IT manager will be, be in charge this, I mean, okay. uh, this week um, um, so look it, Dorian in terms of us we, we have our own goals and we always Brian have Dorian, goals yeah, yeah. so we always have our own goals um, I think we beat the all time record points if we win, so we we definitely have a, a reason to win this week, and we get the the trophy. You getting the trophy, yeah? Are yeah. the players going to be allowed to celebrate again this weekend? Have they had their blowout now, or where where do things stand with the well, cup final? I seen coming? John Mountney with his hair done yesterday, so <laughs> he thinks he is, but clearly no. Um, all the focus now will be on. We'll have a, a bit of a meal for um, girlfriend, wives, family, stuff like that after the game, but. It'd be fairly low key. All the focus will go on to what's ahead of us. Is that a balance to get right, though? In, ser- in all seriousness, because I know no, Stephen says you have to enjoy these things, and I know that you know they went and you lads went and enjoyed yourselves the, the Friday night after Pat's. But like, Friday Saturday, ha- stroke Saturday, yeah. But, but yeah. you've but you've had a way of doing things. There's a culture with the players that if they slip out of the habit, it can you know you want to get back into it. So I assume Waterford was pleasing last week. Yeah, in that regard. it's it's funny. Waterford last week, I thought we were. That was one of our best performances of the season, and um, we were excellent, and, and we could have won by a lot more. Um, Sean Gannon has been calling me a cranky this and that for the last couple of weeks, uh, because um, you've got to keep them at it. it. There is a big prize for us. We've won the league a couple of weeks ago, and uh, but you need to enjoy. It. You need to like Dundalk. It's it's funny. People have sort of only you you get the well done, but it's not as much as it was a couple of years ago because it's. It's that, I know we were talking about the dubs earlier on, it's that expecting to win and there isn't that same celebration from even my own father. Had, uh, I said to him today, you never said well done win the league. Asher, you won it. Again, yeah, big deal. Yeah. But these people, like, these people on season on a day to day how hard you work and every yeah. day is more challenging than the last. Yeah, but the mm. point to make is Dundalk have only ever won 13 league titles like, and you've got to enjoy them. When we did and we, we, we certainly celebrated the, the victory and we celebrated around town and um, no, you have to enjoy them moments. But then there is a point where, right, we need to get back to work because we've got our own goals now. As, as you know, the the 4th of November is looming and we have to make sure we're ready for that. And you can't switch on and, and, and back off. You have to. You yeah. have to be I'm sure you respect that. I, 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 of course. I, you know, you've got to, you've, uh, in order for a habit to be a habit, you've got to reward it. Mm. If it's not, it's not a habit. And they, they, re- they reward it, you know. So like you said, back to work. You've got other things to focus on. And then you've got the other games this week. We've got Limerick against St. Pats and, and Shamrock Rovers, Waterford, which I mean, there's still a battle for third going on. Rovers are in a, a good position. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think you've been injured, John. Rovers, Waterford, what would you make of that game? Have you been impressed by either of those sides uh, across the year? To be completely honest, no. I haven't been. Um, not in comparison to the talk, no. Um, Waterford are just a bit better than both. Very similar. Just a bit better. I think both are in Europe. I don't know. Will they be... Will you throw the strongest sides? Will either 22 men on the pitch want to beat you at 11? I don't know. It's not a nothing game, but... Yeah. But you haven't been madly impressed by either side. Even I know Rovers have no. picked up in recent weeks. No. No. Not at all. Pretty blunt. Aiden. Uh, Rovers, a lot of clean sheets. So, again, you just wonder, Rovers, if, if this form... You know, I don't think it would have been good enough to win the league this year, but it could have been closer to, to second. But just that the Rovers' form is probably just coming at the, the wrong time, particularly defensively, and that's... Uh, is that because the league was over when they came at the form? Well, see, that is the that is probably the question mark that they're going to face. Now, I, they they certainly against Pats last week they finished the game strongly. Brandon Kavanagh came in off the bench. There was a sort of a freshness about them. Dylan Watts has been a good sign, and uh, I was probably more impressed with them last week than I had been in a while. But 
I think it's a fair point to make that I, the two I don't mean to be too critical. No, no. I the, think they're a very good side, but I think they should be better than what they are. The concern you would have is that the two defeats they had in the run-in were the cup game and the derby, which were the two most mm. pressurised games. But they've they've got something. I mean, I know they they it was a controversial win up in in Oriel with the late penalty, but they did compete with you in that game. Yeah, they did. Like, I mean, okay, I, I take John, John's entitled to his opinion, but. Rovers Ward for two top sides, two really, really top sides, and maybe it's probably digging ourselves up a little bit, but yeah, we're, we're what is it, 20 odd points ahead of them. But from Sligo up, this league is competitive, and do not, uh, it, it is a bugbear in mind that it, that is, that is, people don't realize how good this league is. That, that is, albeit there's not a lot of stake this week, knowing um, the two managers, they, they both teams will be at it this week. That'd be a good game of football. Um, and I think there's a three-point gap, so... Um, yeah, it looks better than coming in a season. Yeah, no, you're, you're good, right, you're good right. managers will want to finish... Like, Alan Reynolds will want to finish ahead of Shamrock Rovers, so there's plenty at stake. This thing that's a dead rubber is, is nonsense. Alan Reynolds will want to finish ahead of Stephen Bradley this week, and Stephen will want to finish as high as he can. So, um, that's, a, that's a proper game this week. It's one I'd like to see, to be honest with you. It'd be a good game. Then I think I might give you the final word, the floor, because Johnny isn't here. Johnny Ward isn't here. I think you're interviewed after the title win by Jerry Malone, live at Oriel, who, I mean, he's, a, he's an interesting character. He probably went home and, yeah. you know, sent a good part of the night tweeting messages about ISIS and CNN and so on. But, but, like, but Jerry is, uh, he got you going about Johnny Ward's criticism and his views uh, if, if on mistaken, the Dundalk team. It, it's a bit so is, the, is this Dundalk team, have they just been a bit meh? As as would Johnny's view would be, they didn't no, have to didn't no. have to beat much this year. My my problem with Johnny is that um, I don't agree with everything he says on social media, and I'm just looking for the opportunity to discuss that with him. But I can't seem to ever find him. So <laughs> with Sean Gallagher. So yeah. So, but what I will say about and um, and I know we're running out of time to compare eras. I played in 2003. Okay, that great Shelbourne side played then, right? Um, I finished fourth that year. With Longford, right? With Longford yeah. Town, sorry, and um, won a cup. I wouldn't get into any of the top six or seven sides that are currently playing now. So people look back with rose-tinted glasses. It's it's nonsense. It's I'm not saying the league is better now. It's a different league. It's a different way of playing. You can't compare ears. And um, when you look at the time certain teams, when Drottler won the league, had they got real competition? I don't know. But I just think that comparing of leagues, just enjoy what we have. I played against um, uh, Glenn Crow and Jason Bourne when they when they broke those records. So what Hoban is doing now, for me, it is as good if not. It is better. It's one goal better, and we should just enjoy what people are doing. And I don't believe in um, knocking what we have now at the moment. I think from as I said earlier on, Sligo up, we've got some real good sides, and thankfully we've just blown them away. But do not underestimate the quality that's in their league. And Sligo are full-time. When you go up there, they're very organised and they're a difficult side to beat. It is a, it is a good league. And I think throwing away stupid remarks doesn't, doesn't do the league any good, especially from people. To be fair to Johnny, he's a big fan of the league. And I admire him for that. I just don't admire all of his comments. <laughs> I look forward to meeting him one day. <laughs> well, we will have Johnny back next week. That might mean there'll be some stupid remarks back. Of course, I look forward to, to say that. Uh, I just want to thank John Sullivan for coming in today, Vinny for coming in, Aidan from the Herald for stepping in. Um, and yeah, next week we will be back. Johnny will be back. And we might have something uh, a bit special next week around the PFA Ireland Teams of the Year. We might have a couple of 
announcements and players from that here with us next week. So join us back then. We're available on all the usual platforms, uh, and we look back, look forward to hearing from you next week. Thank you.